Greetings and welcome. My name is James White, and we are doing a study of the Christian scriptures, why we believe that the Bible is inspired, consistent with itself, and why we can trust that the Bible we possess today accurately reflects that which was given by the apostles and prophets, the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophets of old in the Old Testament. In our last study, we began looking at the subject of Gnosticism. Why would we be covering a religion like Gnosticism when talking about the Bible? Well, because the primary source that people are using today to attack the scriptures comes from a, a resurrection, a resuscitation of the old heresies of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was an enemy of the Christian faith from its very inception. And in the second century of church history, Gnostic churches began to appear and to, and to grow. And individual teachers began to promote specific viewpoints within Gnosticism that brought Jesus in and tried to make room for the Christian faith within Gnosticism. Of course, you can't do that, and so as a result, you had to change the Bible's message about Jesus. We talked a little bit about what Gnosticism believes, how it denies that there is only one creator God, how it's dualistic, believing that that which is material is evil and that which is spiritual is good. Dualism was not something that was only the Gnostics that only the Gnostics came up with. You may recall in Acts chapter 17 when the apostle Paul was preaching on Mars Hill. This was a place where philosophers would come to present new ideas and and Paul was invited to come and present his new ideas as well. And the philosophers there in, in Greece listened to Paul up into up until a particular point in his presentation. At one point, he said something that caused the philosophers to begin to mock him and to deride him and stopped his presentation. You may recall what it was. He proclaimed to them the resurrection. And immediately they said, resurrection, this is foolishness. Because you see, in the Jewish concept, resurrection is that which died coming to life again. And so it is a physical resurrection, that which died coming to life again. For the Greeks, being dualists, the whole idea of salvation was to be rid of this physical body, to get out of this physical body. And so what Paul was saying to them was foolishness. It, was, it sounded ridiculous in their ears, so they stopped him. This was because of the concept of dualism. And that dualism is very important in understanding Gnosticism. We mentioned in the last program that the Gnostics began to write books and these books come from the second century. They do not come from the first. And even though they use the names of individuals found in the New Testament, that they were not written by those individuals. Let me give you a taste of what some of these Gnostic Gospels were really all about. In the most famous of these, we have the Gospel of Thomas. Now, Thomas is not the one who writes this Gospel. This Gospel demonstrates that the kind of Gnosticism found in it developed around 140, 150 AD, the middle of the second century. So we're talking 110, 120 years after the events that we have recorded in Jesus's life in the Synoptic Gospels in the New Testament. So a long time has passed and Thomas did not live quite that long. So this is a book that reflects Gnostic beliefs. Let me give you some quotations, some citations, so you can have an idea of the flavor of the Gnostic Gospels. For example, uh, here we read, uh, and I'm taking these translations, by the way, uh, from a book called The Scholar's Version. Uh, there is a group of radical skeptics in the United States called the Jesus Seminar. 
And these radical skeptics uh, have, in essence, decided to add the Gospel of Thomas to the Bible. Uh, they decided that uh, aside from the four Gospels, they're going to have the Gospel of Thomas. And so literally, they have published an edition of the Gospels with this Gospel added in as the fifth Gospel. And in their rendering of Thomas 49 through 51 through 3, we read, Jesus said, Congratulations to those who are alone and chosen, for you will find the Father's domain, for you have come from it and will return there again. Jesus said, If they say to you, Where have you come from? Say to them, We have come from the light, from the place where the light came into being by itself, established itself, and appeared in their image. If they say to you, Is it you? Say, We are its children, and we are the chosen of the living Father. If they ask you, what is the evidence of your father in you? Say to them, it is motion and rest. Now, you don't really have to be a Bible scholar to recognize that the backgrounds of this particular text are very different than those of the New Testament. In fact, if you know much about Gnosticism, you can detect the various elements of that religious belief coming through, which, as we pointed out in the last program, would not be something you would find in the first century in Jerusalem. Let me give you another uh, quotation from the Gospel of Thomas. This is from 77, 1 through 3. It says, Jesus said, I am the light that is over all things. I am all. From me all came forth, and to me all attained. Split a piece of wood, I am there. Lift up the stone, and you will find me there. Now, you probably will recognize this as a, a different kind of religious belief, pantheism, where God's being is intimately connected with the creation itself. And this comes out in these words from the Gospel of Thomas. But probably one of the most famous texts in the Gospel of Thomas comes at the very end. It is always made me wonder just a little bit why liberal scholarship, uh, which is frequently very concerned about equality issues and things like that, would want to promote books like the Gnostic Gospels because the view of women in the Gnostic Gospels is absolutely horrible. Uh, it, is, it is far removed from what you find in the New Testament where, for example, it is said there is neither male nor female if you're all one in Christ Jesus, a recognition that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and that a man is saved in the exact same way that the woman is saved and that in their relationship to Christ, their relationship to God, uh, one is not superior to the other. And yet, what we find in Thomas, very different from that. Listen to these words that come from the very end of the Gospel of Thomas. Simon Peter said to them, Make Mary leave us, for females don't deserve life. Jesus said, Look, I will guide her to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every female who makes herself male will enter the domain of heaven. This is the kind of material you find in the Gospel of Thomas. You do not find the kind of historical context that you find in the canonical gospels. You do not find the consistency that you find the canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with the previous Old Testament revelations. You do not see the consistency in the view of God as a creator of all things with the Old Testament. You have a completely different religious context in the gospel of Thomas. This is a different religion. Now, you may pick up books today 
that talk about the Christian Gnostics. Well, what does that mean? Well, unfortunately, especially in historical works and scholarly works, they will not make the proper differentiation that one must make on a biblical basis. Instead, basically, if someone mentions Jesus, if the name of Jesus appears somewhere in, the, in, in their religious belief, then they will be called Christians, even if their fundamental beliefs are so far removed from the Bible that it would be difficult to even recognize this as a quote-unquote Christian faith. And so when you see someone talking about a Christian Gnostic, uh, you, you might as well refer to a, a Christian Buddhist um, or a, a, a Buddhist, a, a Christian atheist, something like this. Putting these terms together doesn't make any sense. They are contradictory terms. To be a Christian is to believe certain things. To be a Gnostic is to believe certain things. And the two are not uh, able to be put together in any meaningful sense. And so though people will cite from these books, and they will, uh, I've actually had people in debate say, well, the Gospel of Thomas is, is earlier than the Gospel of Mark. This is, in essence, wishful thinking. It has no real basis in fact. But another one of the, the uh, Gnostic Gospels has come into prominence uh, in, in recent years, and that is the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Uh, once again, there is no reason to believe that Mary Magdalene had anything to do with the writing of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And you are probably aware of the fact, thanks to such books as the Da Vinci Code, that Mary Magdalene has become uh, a, a, the, the way of selling a book or selling a movie. I mean, just over the past few years, you've had the Da Vinci Code book, you've had the Da Vinci Code movie, then, uh, then we had uh, the, the people presenting the idea that the Talpiot tomb uh, contained the bones of Jesus and, and that DNA actually proved that Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus and, and all of this kind of, uh, the, uh, kind of wild claims that, that they sounded really good when they first appeared on the television screen, but then as scholars examined them and, and looked at the actual data, you discover that there are huge gaping holes in the research. Even just recently, for example, uh, the Gospel of Judas uh, was presented in the United States by, the, uh, by major uh, f sources that had lots of funding, and so they, they were able to do a lot with television and very special presentations and things like that. And yet, only last evening, as I was uh, reading and studying, I saw new revelations that have just come out that the translation of that gospel that had uh, been touted in all the television stations contains major errors, and in fact, the translation that was put out actually pre presents the exact opposite of what the original language said about Judas, uh, that it wasn't presenting him as a good person, and in fact, it was presenting him in a very opposite fashion. So, unfortunately, the media all over the world is always looking for something to grab hold of. And if they can find something of a religious nature that will attack established beliefs, they'll grab hold of that very, very quickly. And even if later research demonstrates that those sources they were using are really worthless, well, the splash was all they wanted in the beginning. The splash is all they wanted to begin with. And so when the research comes out that demonstrates that, well, in reality, uh, what we had already believed from the Bible was actually true, do you think that's going to make front page? No, it might be mentioned uh, just a little bit here, a little bit there, but you're not going to have any of the same kind of level 
of discussion. And so these books like the, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is presented in the Da Vinci Code as, as demonstrating that, that Mary Magdalene was actually chosen by Jesus to be the first, the one who took over his church because allegedly they were married. Well, there is a Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Uh, there, as I said, the Gnostics were more than happy uh, to take almost anyone whose name appears in the canonical Gospels and write something representing them. But these are all from the second, even into the third centuries, long after the time of the original writings themselves. And so the Gospel of Mary Magdalene uh, likewise presents the same kind of Gnostic worldview that the Gospel of Thomas did. Let me give you some citations. For example, we read in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene 5, 2 through 7, Then Mary stood up, greeted them all, and said to her brethren, Do not weep and do not grieve, nor be irresolute, for his grace will be entirely with you and will protect you. But rather, let us praise his greatness, for he has prepared us and made us into men. When Mary said this, she turned their hearts to the good, and they began to discuss the words of the Savior. Peter said to Mary, Sister, we know that the Savior loved you more than the rest of women. Tell us the words of the Savior which you remember, which you know, but we do not, nor have we heard them. Mary answered and said, What is hidden from you I will proclaim to you. Now, this is the specific text from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene that Dan Brown in the Da Vinci Code focuses upon, and you can see why. Notice what was said. In essence, you have Peter here, and who is Peter in later Christian history, especially within Roman Catholicism, he's viewed as the first pope. And so here you have the leader of the apostles, and yet he, in essence, has to say to Mary, you know, you knew more about what the Savior taught than we do. Tell us the words that he taught that we do not remember, but you do. And so the Da Vinci Code focuses upon this and says, see, here is ancient evidence that Mary Magdalene had a position that even Peter did not have. And you see, the whole idea behind the Da Vinci Code is that the later Christian faith is a man-centered faith. Men are in control. You have uh, men who are, who are in charge of the church and that they had driven the feminine out and that the original beliefs of Christianity in fact, had the divine feminine so that Mary Magdalene is the one who is chosen by Jesus to continue his work because, according to the theory, uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene are married and have children. That is the presentations being made. Now, that's not even what the Gospel of Mary Magdalene says. Even what has happened in modern days is even the Gnostic myths were not mythical enough Instead, we've had to make up all sorts of new myths to add to these things. But this is the kind of text. And once again, you notice, he has made us men. This is Mary speaking. What, what is the relationship? How, the whole view of men and women, male and female, and what that means, very, very different than what you find in the Christian faith and in the Christian scriptures. Just another citation from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene to give you a sense of where it's coming from. This is from uh, chapter 4, verses 30 to 31. Matter gave birth to a passion that has no equal, which proceeded from something contrary to nature. Then there arises a disturbance in its whole body. That is why I said to you, be of good courage, for if you are discouraged, be encouraged in the presence of the different forms of nature. Once again, 
this could not have derived from the historical context of the first century in Jerusalem or Judea or Magdala, the city from which Mary came. This is a different worldview, a different religion giving expression to its beliefs. And one last citation from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. The first form is darkness, the second desire, the third ignorance, the fourth is the excitement of death, the fifth is the kingdom of the flesh, the sixth is the foolish wisdom of the flesh, the seventh is the wrathful wisdom. These are the seven powers of wrath. They ask the soul, whence do you come, slayer of men, or where are you going, conqueror of space? The soul answered and said, what binds me has been slain, and what turns me about has been overcome, and my desire has been ended, and ignorance has died. If you can make any sense out of that, you're a smarter person than I am. You're not supposed to be able to make sense out of this. The whole idea is that it is written in the form of riddles. It is written in, the, in, a, in a, uh, a form that requires you to have special knowledge to be able to understand what was being said. And that special knowledge is controlled by the leaders of the Gnostic religion. And you receive that knowledge as you go through their various uh, ceremonies and obtain that kind of knowledge. This is not what you have in Christianity. The Christian message was to be proclaimed to all people. It was to go to everyone. And that is what we have, uh, that's why we have such an absolute contradiction between Gnosticism and what we have in the Christian faith. But as I said, that has not stopped many people from utilizing these resources. And given that literally millions and millions of people around the world have read the Da Vinci Code, uh, let me at least give you some comments about many of the errors that are found in the Da Vinci Code. As I mentioned, the idea that is presented is that in essence, Mary Magdalene was to take over the Christian faith and she was to lead the Christian faith after Jesus left. Now, in the theory presented within the book, what happens instead, of course, is that the men take over and that there becomes this conflict between the male-dominated Catholic Church uh, and the true Christian Church, uh, which still remembers Mary Magdalene. And so as you begin to look through the material that they present, they even present the idea that what the church was trying to suppress was this idea that Jesus was just a man. Now, the funny thing is, uh, Dan Brown, in his material, presents the idea that the Gnostic Gospels presented the truth about Jesus, that he was just a human being, whereas the canonical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, were written by Constantine at the time of the Council of Nicaea to present the idea that Jesus was a god. Historians and scholars who know something about these things cannot help but laugh at this kind of a presentation. Why? Because it's the Gnostic Gospels that present Jesus as a disembodied spirit being with all power, and it's the canonical Gospels that present Jesus in the balanced fashion where, yes, he is divine, but he truly has a physical body. It's the, it's the Gospels that we have in the Bible that present to us the Jesus who becomes tired, the Jesus who eats food, uh, the, the real human Jesus, whereas it's the Gnostic Gospels that give us the opposite. In other words, what the Da Vinci Code is saying is exactly backwards from the reality. But not only that, 
when it is said that, that in essence of the Council of Nicaea, uh, there was a debate and whether Jesus was truly deity was voted on, and it was, a, it was a close vote, allegedly, according to the Da Vinci Code. Actually, there was nothing of the kind that was at all. But even beyond that, the idea that Emperor Constantine had all these Gospels destroyed, and then he wrote the canonical Gospels and, and made them canon scripture. No historian in the world would ever substantiate such wild accusations. There is absolutely no evidence this is the case, and all evidence that exists says the exact opposite. For example, when the Da Vinci Code says that uh, Constantine came up with the idea of the deity of Christ, tell me, how is it that Ignatius, remember Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, as he's going to Rome, writing in 107 or 108 A.D., that is 215 years or so before Constantine and before the Council of Nicaea. How come he called Jesus Christ God over and over again? Why do we have all sorts of references to the deity of Christ that long precede the Council of Nicaea? How can that be? Well, of course, Dan Brown and Da Vinci Code doesn't have to defend any of these things because, well, I'm just writing fiction anyways, even though at the beginning of the book he has this claim that, all ancient documents and ceremonies and things like that described herein are accurate. Well, it's not accurate at all. And besides that, if you're going to try to say that Constantine is the one who created Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why do we have manuscripts of these books that were written over a century before then? In fact, the earliest fragment that we have of any of the New Testament books is a little, very small little fragment about this big written on both sides, manuscript P52, which is from the Gospel of John. It is from the Gospel of John around chapter 18. And this was written around 125 AD. In other words, it's written about two centuries prior to Constantine. How can Constantine make it up when we have documentary evidence that it existed two centuries before the Council of Nicaea. The level of error of the historical claims made in the Da Vinci Code is astounding. There is almost nothing said in this work that is actually true. And almost every assertion that is made within the Da Vinci Code, especially about the Bible, the Gnostic Gospels, what they contain, what took place at the Council of Nicaea, what Christians believed prior to the Council of Nicaea, almost every single statement that is made in those contexts is not only either false, it is normally the exact opposite of the truth. And yet, because Dan Brown wrote this as fiction, he doesn't have to stand up to the kind of scholarly scrutiny that would be brought to bear if you're actually making these as historical claims. And yet, sadly, so many people today take that kind of fictional writing and they believe that it has historical validity. So why do we take the time to look at these things? Well, once again, as Peter said, Christians are to be ready to give an answer, to give a defense for the hope that lies within them. 
yet with gentleness and reverence. That's not just a command to the leaders of the church. It's a command to every believer. So we as believers want to be prepared to do so. Thank you.